0: give you and you will identify who am i but my question is how many of those six do you actually think you need well, like one like two we haven't rehearsed any of this three how uh, many how many do you th- what do you, how many do you think how many do you want you want all six do you want uh three three okay we'll start with three if you need another i'll give you the fourth okay. and then we'll, we'll go from there okay All right, here's the first statement. I was born on February 5th, 1934 in Mobile, Alabama. Okay, you want the second one? Yeah. Sure? Yeah. Okay, here's the second one. I made my Major League Baseball debut in 1954. You want the third one? Yeah. This is probably going to give it away. I played for Milwaukee, Atlanta, and then Milwaukee again. That's three. You said you wanted three, right? So who am I? Uh, Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron. There you go. That's good. <laughs> now, very good. Very good. The, the other three. I, here's the other three I was going to give you. I, I led the league in batting average in 1956 and 1959. I was voted MVP in 1957. You realize Hank Aaron was the MVP only once. It's interesting. And I and I never I never hit more than 47 home runs in one season. The, the home run king at the time of his retirement never hit more than 47 so yeah, eventually you would have gotten on that three on three that that's pretty good. so what, nice nice job all right way to go good, good job all right that, that's very good. <laughs> the Who am I game i I, I think is kind of interesting. You, you give some statements and I didn't come out right out and, and say. Very obvious things. You make him think a little bit. And, of course, now his namesake and the number that he wears on his baseball team both reflect Hank Aaron, number 44. So maybe it was on a tee a little bit for him. But the questions weren't exactly specific to say, I, I, at the time of my retirement, I was the all-time home run leader. Well, most folks who've ever paid any attention whatsoever to baseball would probably be able to tell you, well, maybe was that Babe Ruth? No, it was Hank Aaron. Okay, I got it. He would have guessed that very, very quickly. The idea behind giving some questions that are sort of vague and some statements that may not immediately just pop out and say, oh, I know who that is, ties in with a sermon this morning from Matthew 16. Jesus had been for... Uh, the time of his ministry up until this point, giving some hints and some clues to who he was. But he never really came out and said it. He never came out and said, at my retirement, I was the all-time home-run leader. That would have given it away as Hank Aaron, of course. He never, never made those kinds of statements. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus comes to his disciples and he asks the most important question in all the Bible. He he asks a very direct question and wants a very specific and direct answer. He leaves them no room to dodge it. And I think that if you and I will hear him today, he's asking each of us the very same question. The most important question in all of Scripture we'll see this morning in Matthew chapter 16. Today we're beginning a new series, sort of as a school year gets started, something new called Red Letter Questions. And the idea is that Jesus, of course, taught, and he did, and he said lots of different things. But one of the things he was best at was asking questions. In fact, I've got a whole book called All That Jesus Asks. And it's a book about all of the questions that he asked. I mean, it's over and over. He's constantly asking questions. And if you know anything about the best teachers in the world, then they're really good at asking questions. Making you think, putting it back on you to evaluate what you've been taught. And that's what Jesus did. They weren't annoying questions like you get from your kids, like, you know, how much longer and are we there yet? You know, not these kind of questions. Jesus wasn't trying to annoy. Jesus was trying to get straight to the hearts of those that he was questioning. And over the next few weeks, my goal is to look at some of the questions that he asked and determine what our honest answers would be to those questions. And I hope that you'll be here each week. We'll, we'll, we'll look at eight different questions over the next couple of months that Jesus asked to different people at different times. And, and I hope that you'll, that you'll come, and I hope that you'll pay attention. But I'll just tell you this. It will be absolutely pointless for us to show up, for you to listen to the sermons. It will be pointless to do all of that if you and I aren't open to the Lord's examination in our lives. If we're closed off to to God doing anything in our lives, if we're closed off to to honestly evaluating where are we with God, then it's going to be pointless, i just tell you up front. Uh, These questions are going to be very penetrating, very important questions. I didn't write them, I didn't make them up. They come from Jesus Himself, that's why they're important. But it's going to be pointless if you're you're not willing to be examined by the Lord. It'll also be pointless if you're unwilling to be honest with yourself and with God and maybe even with other people. Uh, it, it's just, it, it, won't, it won't make any difference in your life. And so I hope that over the next few weeks, my prayer is that you and I will be willing to submit to the examination of our hearts by Jesus Himself, and that we'll be willing to be honest with Him and honest with ourselves, and if necessary, be honest with the people close to us. Uh, because I, I believe if we're willing to submit to that kind of examination, if we're willing to, to be honest, then these questions can change your life. And maybe you think your life doesn't need changing. Um, Well, I I would venture to say that you'd be wrong. I would venture to say that then the the sin of pride has entered your life, and probably that needs to be changed. So I would imagine all of us stand on equal ground this morning recognizing that at least in some way we need our lives to be changed. And if we'll allow the Lord to penetrate our hearts, to examine us, to change us, to open us up, to lay us open and lay us bare if, if need be before Him, then these questions will change our lives. They did change lives back then, and they will today. And, and we'll call them red letter questions, since in most of your Bibles they're written in red letters, and they're questions, so they're red letter questions. See how clever that is? And this is good stuff. Don't miss it. I know you tuned out there. All right, you liked Hank. Now I'm back. Okay, but that, okay. So red letter is so it's so good. Anyway. Uh, Bear with me. All right. They, 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 they certainly, they stand out, of course, in the Scripture because maybe they are in red. But, and I hope that, that they will resonate and stand out in your mind and your heart uh, because of how important your answers are. So let's look at Matthew chapter 16. You'll see uh, the, the handout in the, in the bulletin. You can look at the Scripture there. I would hope that you've got a copy of, of the Bible. If you don't, then let me know as you're leaving. If you say, you know what, I don't have a copy of the Bible that I, that I, that I feel like is, is really mine. Uh, Maybe you had one that was handed down to you and you'd love it, but, you know, I want one of my own or whatever. You don't have one. Let me know. We'd be happy to get you one. Somehow get to the Scripture this week. You can scan the code, pull it up on your smartphone or your tablet, and it'll take you to a link there with the Scripture. But let's look at it real quick. Matthew 13, or 16 rather, verse 13 through verse 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And he's talking about himself. And they said, some say John the Baptist, Others, Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades, or hell, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And he gave his disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Uh, now in verse 13, we, we see that Jesus is entering a region known as Caesarea Philippi. And, and this area was a very important city in the Roman Empire and was known really for its pagan worship. They worshipped different false gods like Baal and eventually wound up worshipping the Caesar. And so it's in this place, this city, this area of this historically pagan and false worship that Jesus comes to his disciples and wants to pin them down on who do you say that I am. He asks specifically for a decision about who he is. He says two different questions. The first one in verse 13, he says, "Who do people say that the son of man is?" Now, that title son of man, Jesus used that. It was sort of his favorite title for himself. He would speak of himself in the third person using this title, Son of Man. And and it's kind of confusing, to be quite honest with you. I was reading different things this week, trying to drill down on what exactly was he calling himself when he called himself the Son of Man. And different opinions will give you different opinions, obviously, and basically what I could figure was the simplest way to explain this was it was meant to be sort of a vague title. It was referencing an Old Testament prophecy of this Son of Man figure and And really what it means, though, is human being. Jesus was really just identifying himself as, look, I'm one of you. I'm different, but I'm also one of you. It was this figure of meekness and sacrifice and submission, and that's what Jesus was identifying himself as. And as his ministry culminated and as people began to realize who he really was, this title would be very important. He was just another person, though he was also God in human flesh. That's what he's trying to convey. Look, I'm one of you, even though I'm different. And to this point in his ministry, Jesus had been giving some clues, sort of like what I gave Hank. Here's some clues to who I really am, who his real identity was. But he had not told them to this point in very plain terms that he was the Messiah. He hadn't told them. So this isn't one of those questions, hey, I've been telling you all along, let's just you know, converse a little, let's talk a little so we can write this down for the scripture one day people will read. This wasn't that kind of conversation. This was the first time they had truly had to answer from Jesus directly, who am I? Now if he hadn't told them specifically who he was, then... Why ask the question? Why not just come out with it? Why not just say, guys, let me just tell you, let me cat out of the bag here, let me tell you who I am. Well, of course, Jesus was an incredible teacher, along with being the Messiah, the son of the living God. He was an incredible teacher, and he wanted them to have to think about it and evaluate it. He also wasn't interested, just so you know, in pep rallies and and governmental authority, And unfortunately, at the time, there was a a train of thought that said that the Messiah from Israel would be this great ruler. And Jesus wasn't interested in any of that. And you'll see in verse 20, he told them, look, don't tell people yet that I'm the Messiah. Not because Jesus was worried about what people would think of him, but he was not wanting to have himself thrust into this role that he did not come to fulfill. Jesus came to establish a kingdom, but one that was far different from what the the kind of of kingdom that most people thought that he would establish. And so he, he asked them the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's trying to pin them down. His identity, of course, was of utmost importance to his disciples, as they would be the ones who would disseminate that message across the world. They had to evaluate, based upon this question, what's being said, what's being done about who Jesus is. And they had to interact with the, the, the popular opinion of the day. So they give some answers in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was dead at this point. So some were saying, well, John the Baptist has been resurrected or in some way reincarnated. And here he is again. And, and this is John the Baptist, the, the forerunner, the, the proclaimer of the Messiah to come. You're a great prophet, they said, and, and, and that's what some people thought of Jesus. Very highly devoted, high character, this forerunner, this proclaimer of the Messiah who was to come. That's who some people were saying. Others said that this was Elijah. Of course, Elijah, not on the scene anymore, but he was a great man, a prophet, very intense follower of God. And, and said to be the announcer of the Messiah's coming. Others would say that he was Jeremiah, another great prophet. Jeremiah, of course, the the weeping prophet, as as the story goes. He wrote lamentations. and and I, I can can understand why he would weep. You know, for forty years, Jeremiah preached, a prophet back in the Old Testament was as close to we can get, I think, as the modern day preacher, maybe as the Old Testament will allow us. They spoke on behalf of God. For forty years, Jeremiah preached, and nobody listened at all, ever. For 40 years. No wonder he cried all the time. Huh, can you imagine? Some of you have been teaching Sunday school for 40 years. and you're like, Nobody's ever listened to a single lesson I've given. You know that feeling. He preached for 40 years. And nobody listened. And God said, just keep preaching anyway. I don't care if they don't listen. I've called you to preach. And you do what I've told you to do. Jeremiah was that guy who preached repentance and devotion. Well, maybe no wonder people didn't listen. They didn't want to hear about repentance. they didn't want to hear about their sin. I, I saw somebody last week who was visiting the church and he was in from out of town, and, and maybe some of you met him and he, and he said, do you, "Do you preach about sin here?" And I said, "We sure do." I said, "Some folks like to hear it, and others don't, I think, but isn't that true? Jeremiah preached about sin. he preached about repentance. And maybe they thought that Jesus was was like Jeremiah. He comes preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then they said others say that maybe you're just one of the other prophets. So essentially there's a large variety of opinions that existed when Jesus asked this question about who he was. And he knew that. He wanted the disciples to have to interact. I'm going to pin you down, fellas. I'm going to ask you who who out there who's saying what about who I am. And there was lots of confusion obviously among the Jewish people, about who Jesus was, who the Messiah was to be. Some who had read the Old Testament had had honestly just misinterpreted what the Messiah was to be about. Some didn't quite understand. Jesus hadn't made it clear, and so maybe it just wasn't understandable to them. Jesus certainly didn't operate the way that they thought and hoped their Messiah would. They, they thought the Messiah would come and all of a sudden He would, would join together with all the, the Jews and they would reestablish the greatness of the nation of Israel and overthrow the Roman government and establish the earthly kingdom just like it was under King David. Well, of course, Jesus didn't do any of that. So there was confusion about who He was, who really is He. I wonder if we were to ask the question today, just to go around on the streets even of Murray and Callaway County, who... Is or maybe you think, who was Jesus? You get a variety of answers, I'm sure. Some folks would probably not want to answer the question. You know, they, would, they, would, they would get angry that you would even ask them a religious question. Don't bother me with that stuff. Some would say he was a teacher or a good example, maybe a role model to follow. Some would say he was a myth. People made him up. Some would say he was, a, he was sort of a prophet. He was a good man. He was a hero to lots of people. He was a religious founder. I mean, he he, he established this religion we know as Christianity. Some would call him a liar. Some would say he was just a fool. Maybe some would say he's just a good moral example, some things you could learn from his life. There's a lot of confusion even today. And I'd say even among church members across the country. A lot of confusion over who really is Jesus. And maybe the confusion is from ignorance. They just don't know. They haven't ever been taught. They haven't read the Scripture for themselves. They've heard a few things, but that's the end of it. In some cases, I'm sure the confusion comes from from the hypocrisy of Christians who claim to to follow this Jesus and live nothing like what Jesus lived. Now, of course, you all know that every church, just so you know you can feel a little better, every church is full of hypocrites. So if you're a hypocrite, welcome. Welcome. So glad you joined us to be normal like us. Everybody's a hypocrite. We all say one thing and do another at least once in our lives, don't we? But, but certainly hypocrisy, blatant hypocrisy, has caused some, some folks to be confused about who Jesus is. You know, the, the way that we think today, maybe we look and we say, well, there's some truth out there, but how can you really know? Nobody can be sure of any truth. Maybe that's some reason why, well, if Jesus claimed this, how can you really know? Certainly, there's been false preaching, and we know that Jesus is very offensive to the the nature of tolerance that we want in our society, it seems, today. For others, there's just a distrust of Scripture. I don't know about all that. But there's confusion, nonetheless, as to who it is that people say Jesus is. Just like back then, there's still confusion today. Jesus then asks another question. He says to His disciples first, who's everybody else think I am? And then he comes to them and he says in verse 15, but you. And you can imagine the scenario. And they're just, they're talking, you know, hey, well, some folks think you're this or you're that or you're this person. And then he stops them and says, guys, now listen, here's the point. I want to know, who do you think? Who do you say that I am? But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? It's now that they have to consider who it is that they will believe Jesus is. Who do they understand Him to be? There are lots of folks that gather in churches all across America each week that simply gather because, well, Jesus is cool and He's all right and He's my buddy and and i got some neat things I want to ask Him about and so on. And, 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 hey, it seems to be popular in some areas to, to say that I follow Jesus and He's a good spiritual leader and taught some good things, so, hey, I'll get on board with that. These guys were not allowed the opportunity to follow popular opinion. Jesus pins them down and says, look, you, you answer the question. Looks probably each of them in the eyes, all 12 of them, and says, hey, who do you say that I am? They've got to an answer for themselves. No more tossed around, no more being confused by what seems to be whatever prevailing thought there is. Peter gives the answer in verse 16, speaking on behalf of the disciples. It's not just that Peter is the only one who knew this. He, he was probably speaking on behalf of himself and maybe at least a few others, maybe the whole group, we don't know. But he says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Christ. You know, Jesus' last name was not Christ. It was simply his title. His name was Jesus. That was it. Christ is his title, which means Messiah, Jesus, Messiah. You could say Messiah Jesus. You could say Jesus the Messiah. He was the Christ, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, this deliverer, this anointed one coming from God. And Peter says, you are the Messiah, that one who was to be sent, and you are the Son of the living God. You are who you have claimed and demonstrated yourself to be. And Peter's answer was the culmination of two and a half years of Jesus giving them ministry and teaching them and showing them and dropping hints about who He was. And culminating two and a half years, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it's that statement... And if you read the remaining verses, Jesus would say this statement, this very foundation, this belief, this kind of faith is what I will build my church on. This is the bedrock statement. Jesus responds to him in verse 17 and he says, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. He says, Peter, you got it right. You're not following public opinion. You're not asking everybody else. You didn't get this from some other person. This insight, this came directly from God the Father. I am, he says, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're exactly right. So according to Jesus, the question of who am I, the answer is very specifically Messiah, Son of the living God. That word Messiah, now I hope that you would take some notes besides just waiting for close to the end to fill in the blank. I'll just It's coming at the end. All right? You, you're ready, okay? It's coming at the end. Write, write, write a couple things down. When you see what Peter's answers, there's some, there's some space here. Look at verse 16 again. You are the Messiah, the Son of a living God. I want you to make a couple notes whether you flip over on the back or whatever it is because I want you to remember this, not because I said it, but because this is the most important question. If you can't answer this question... Then, then, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, you need to spend some time with it this week. According to Jesus, the answer to the question, who am I, is what Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, let me give you a little bit more detail on Messiah and Son of the living God. All right, you're going to take some notes here that are not going to be on the screen. Messiah simply means anointed one. Just mentioned that a minute ago, just for reiteration, it means anointed one. In the Old Testament, there were different people anointed for different things. There were, there were kings anointed to be kings. There were prophets anointed to be prophets. There were priests anointed to be priests. This anointing, this special power from God to be installed in a specific office for a specific purpose was, was, was known as the anointing of God for that, a special blessing to fulfill what God had called you to do. Messiah simply means anointed one, one that was sent by God. Now in the Old Testament, the word Messiah had some political overtones. I just mentioned that a few minutes ago. And so there was some thought that this Messiah would maybe be a king and would be a king that would set up an earthly kingdom and rule everybody and defeat all of Israel's enemies. And that's why Jesus was very reluctant to take on the title of Messiah. You'll see him telling his disciples over and over. Now look, you guys, keep this under your hat, okay? Tell anybody. And you think, why on earth would Jesus, God himself, not want people to know, hey, I'm here? But he did not want confusion any more than there already was over his identity. He wanted it to be clear at the right moment who he was. So he was truly the Messiah, the anointed one from God, but in a very different sense from what the disciples had anticipated. Now, this idea of the Messiah had grown over time. And by the time that Jesus arrived on the scene in the first century Israel, It had reached sort of a fever pitch. They were waiting, wanting to know who the Messiah is. When King David died back in the Old Testament, Israel longed and they hoped for another king eventually to be just like David to bring such power and prestige to the nation of Israel. And that didn't happen. And so they just kind of held out hope and pushed it back and pushed it back and said, so well, one day, someday, and well, not yet, but maybe, and well, after all of this is over, and the prophet's constantly talking about one day, someday, this is going to happen, and this figure will appear on the on the horizon, and you'll see the Messiah, and boy, he's going to do all of these great things, and, and it never came, and so they pushed it way out. And during the time when Jesus arrives on the scene life for the Jews isn't exactly great. They had some freedom, but they lived under Roman control and that was insulting and oppressive to them. And all they wanted was for this Messiah to appear on the scene and take away all their troubles. I mean, really what they wanted was maybe a Messiah who would come and restore this power, this prestige, make life a little better for them, overthrow the Roman government, establish the greatness of Israel. And that's what Jesus shows up to. And if you read the New Testament, Jesus wasn't about gathering a physical army and overthrowing the Roman government. And so Jesus had to spend the first few years of His ministry trying to get His disciples to stop thinking that way. He tried to help them understand that the way of the true Messiah sent from God was the way of the cross, the way of suffering and of shame. But it was also a way of providing a salvation that was far greater than anything that they could imagine in defeating the Roman government. He was to experience rejection and suffering and humiliation, but it was in order to be a Savior that they didn't even know they needed. Peter here said all the right things, but he didn't fully understand. And and listen to me. I want to make sure this morning that even though you might be able to say all the right things, that you don't misunderstand who Jesus is. Don't misunderstand who He is. Don't assume that Jesus is just sort of a good teacher and, well, if I do some nice things, this good teacher be cool with me. Understand. Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But a few verses later, verses 21, 22, 23, guess what Jesus calls him? Anybody know how the story goes? He says, what? Get behind me, what? Satan. He didn't fully get it. You know why Jesus was so adamant that Peter get out of the way? Because Peter said, you're never going to the cross, you're never going to die. He understood, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God, but he didn't understand the nature of the Messiah and the Son of the living God, what he was to do. Don't misunderstand the Christian life. The Christian life may not be one of absolute victory and triumph here on earth. Earth may not be. You may not have all of your problems solved by Jesus coming into your life. Don't buy the lie that says if you just have enough faith, everything's going to be great. It's garbage. I've told you that before. Don't buy it. Jesus came not just to make our lives better here. That may not happen. Jesus came to establish a kingdom in our hearts and one that will rule forever. And so as the Messiah, if you want to write off to the side, just write the word Savior. Because that's what He was anointed to do, was to be the Savior... The Jews thought it was to be the Savior of their physical problems. And in some ways that was. Jesus healed lots and lots of people we know. But He came to be the Savior of their souls. He was the only one who was anointed and sent by God to save people from sin, which kept them not under Roman control, but under the judgment of God, which is far worse. He was to save them from the penalty and the power of their sin for now and forever. They were looking for someone to make their earthly lives better and more comfortable and He came to give them eternal life. Understand who Jesus is as Savior. He was also, Peter said, and Jesus agreed, the Son of the living God. Not just a man, not just a good teacher, a prophet, a healer, a priest. He's God's Son. God in human flesh. All along, Jesus had been giving them clues. He would say things like, I am this. I am the bread of life. Do you know who first said, I am? It was God back in Exodus chapter 3. I am. Jesus would say, I'm connecting. Do you see the dots? I'm connecting with the Old Testament. Who did Yahweh say He was? That's who I am. He claimed to be God. He identified Himself Father, Son, Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 28. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Co-equals. He said, I am equal with God. He claims to be one with the Father in John chapter 10. He claimed that He could forgive sins in Mark chapter 2. He allowed people to worship Him. All along, He's giving clues to help them understand that He is God in human flesh. The Bible over and over in the New Testament records how many parallels there are for titles that Yahweh, Jehovah in the Old Testament would claim and that Jesus was also given. Things like Creator and Savior and Raiser of the Dead and Judge and Light and Shepherd and so on. Jesus was leaving them hints all around. I'm God in a human body. He wanted them to understand that He is God's Son. I am God the Son sent by God the Father to set up a kingdom. So as Messiah, you can write He is Savior. As Son of the living God, He is Lord. He is the Son of the King. He is the King come to establish His kingdom. He is Lord. And in fact, the phrase Jesus is Lord was was one of the first statements of faith that the early church ever had. They kind of made it simple. And I kind of like that. There's a sign, and I've put it on the screen for you guys, I guess probably three or four years ago. When when I would drive... To, to my high school, when I was, when, when I was in school, I would, would, would drive down uh, Stone Street Road and turn right on Dixie Highway, wide, wide Dixie Highway, the commercial used to say for the car dealership. Some of you have driven on Dixie Highway in Louisville. Danny, you know what it's like. There's all kinds of billboards and signs, and it's kind of a mess, to be honest with you. There's just stuff everywhere. But one sign has been there since as long as I remember, and I don't, Dad, I don't know how if it's been there since you were younger. I'm not sure, but I know from the time that I can first remember driving down Dixie Highway, every day I'd look over in this sign, over in the woods, and they'd keep it cleared off, just a big, huge billboard. That said, "Jesus is Lord," the simple statement of faith. Now, so a lot of folks don't; they wouldn't believe that. They wouldn't. They wouldn't say that's true. But Peter says, you are the son of the living God. And essentially what he's saying is, Jesus, you are Lord. You you are my king. You are the one in charge. And in contrast to so many false gods and and the worship of of the pagans for Christians, there was only one God, one Lord, one Savior. And that's why I believe this red letter question is the most important in all the Scripture. So we get to the point where Jesus says, guys, who, who do you say that I am? How are you going to answer this question? And so in turn, I ask us the same question today. What, what will be your answer to this most important question in all the Bible? So how can you say it's the most important question in all the Bible? Well, identifying who you believe Jesus is, is the crux of your faith. It boils down to that and nothing else. You can say, well, I, I believe there's a God. Good, who is Jesus? You know, I believe there's a spirit world, but hey, that's great. Who is Jesus? You know, I, I believe there have been people who are great teachers. Hey, I think a church is all right. No problem. I like kind of like Christians. The point is, who is Jesus? Who do you believe that he is? Because I'll tell you this, you and I are each living our lives in light of who we believe Jesus is. Regardless of what our lives look like right now, in this moment, and this week, in the week past, in the past month, in the past few weeks, you and I have lived our lives every moment of every day in light of who we believe Jesus is. It all comes down to that. Is He Savior? Is He Lord? The simple truth this morning, and, and, and write this down and then I'll, I'll get to a close in a moment. Jesus is Savior and Lord or He is nothing. He he is Savior and Lord in your life where He is nothing. And Jimmy Bell likes to tell me this is when I stop preaching and I start meddling. And maybe so. Jimmy and I get some good laughs out of that. But I'm going to tell you, I have to evaluate this for myself too. I mean, who is Jesus in my life? Is He Savior and Lord or not? Because if He's not, then He's nothing. Hear this from Jesus Himself. He didn't allow any wiggle room. He didn't allow His disciples to say, well, you know, somewhere in between. And No, no, no. He was, who am I? Savior and Lord or nothing. And today, maybe it's time to make a choice. Time to evaluate ourselves and to be honest with God because Jesus is either Savior and Lord in your life or He's nothing in your life. Check, as I said, the Messiah there being Savior. How can you identify you know, what, what is truly the functional Savior of my life? Look for what you're depending on each day. What is it that helps you get through the day? What is your dependence? Because if He is your Savior, then you're counting on His grace and His work through the cross and the resurrection for your salvation, not your good deeds. Not all the great stuff you can do. That's after the fact that any of that might matter. The cross isn't just insurance against hell, it's your daily life. So evaluate your dependence. Is Jesus truly your Savior? Have you truly come to the point where you have depended on Him and Him alone for salvation? And then daily, what is your functional Savior? Is He the one that you call out to, the one that you depend on, the one that your heart is set on? Jesus as Savior in your life means that you live in the way of the cross. No more self-reliance. No more self-righteousness. No more self-determination. But there's also no more guilt and no more shame and no more trying to make up for your sin. Jesus took it all. He's my Savior. He's my priest. The channel of my salvation and my forgiveness. That's how I live. The way of the cross. One of dependence on the Lord Jesus. Check for your dependence. Also, as I said, the Son of the living God means He is Lord, so check for your submission. Am I submitting to Him as Lord of my life? Jesus would go on to say that if you want to follow Him, then He must be Lord. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Him, to have in mind the things of God, not our things. Peter would go on to learn that that plan of God for his life, he must submit to a plan that involves sacrifice A plan that involves suffering. A plan that's not always what you think it will be. A plan that certainly requires daily and moment-by-moment submission to Jesus. But it's also a plan that that involves hope and redemption. As we walk the way of the cross, Jesus asked them very clearly, Who do you say that I am? Who am I? I've given you clues. I've given you hints. Now let's pin it down. Who am I? I would hope that this would be the medicine that you take every single day. Lord, today, I will live in light of who you are. I believe you are the Savior. I believe you are my Lord. And I will live my life in light of that. This morning, as we draw to a close, I, really, I hope and pray that you'll spend some time to evaluate, I mean, to let your heart be just laid bare before God Himself. To repent if need be, to say, you know what? Jesus, I I mean, I'm I'm not living as if you're my Lord. And so I repent and I turn from that sin. I hope this morning will be a time of commitment. Life with Jesus must be lived in dependence and in submission. And there's no other way. And that forms the foundation for the life that God wants to live in and through you. And that's the essence, really, of the Christian life. Dependence, submission to Jesus. And so are you living? Am I living? Are we living what we say we believe about Jesus? The answer is always, yeah, I am. What will you believe this morning leaving here? How will you respond? Will it be in dependence and submission to the Lord Jesus? Let's pray together. This morning, before we close, I just want to give you an opportunity to spend some time with the Lord. Young, old, in between, what's God saying to you today? How's He getting a hold of your heart? Submit to Him. Uh You say, I don't know what that means. Just tell Him now, Lord, I trust You and I give my life to You completely. In this moment, Lord, I give it all to You. I believe You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. Trust Him today. And then live each moment just in light of that truth. Lord, how is it I need to depend on You? How is it I need to submit to You? Make that your daily prayer. If you need time to pray, please please do so at your pew there, or you can come down front. I'd be happy to pray for you. Bring a friend, have somebody pray for you, whatever you need. Don't leave here today without having talked to the Lord about what He said to you. God, we're grateful to be here. Lord, in these closing moments, please speak to us. Draw us close and change us. We pray in Jesus' name.